Hey everyone, this is Cody Turner. In this episode of the podcast, I speak with my big brother, Brad Turner, also known as Brad 3 to those closest to him. Three because he hits three pointers from the corner of the basketball court, but only from the corner and nowhere else. But from the corner, he's lethal. Brad and I talk about what you might call mental principles to live by. These are truths that I keep etched on the wall of my psyche that help me maintain mental stability. And to be more specific, we talk about different principles of Buddhism, mindfulness, existentialism, truths about the human mind that function to alleviate social anxiety, and a bunch of other stuff too. The conversation kind of goes all over the place. So without further ado, I give you BRAD3. Welcome to Tent Talks on the Shelter from the Storm Podcast Network. A place to talk the rain away with your host, Cody Turner. Storm coming, Mr. Wayne. Again, if you make the mistake of thinking that these temporary things have permanent resonance, well then if there's some bad feeling and you think that's a permanent feeling, of course you're gonna be less inclined to engage with it and let it just manifest itself. But if you know that it is just arising and then passing away, then there's not going to be as much hesitation in terms of just letting it arise. Right. Like, stop taking them so seriously. And again, it it does involve establishing that metacognitive distance that is mindfulness in order to have that realization. Because without that distance, again, you're trapped in the illusion that you are your thoughts. And since you're this permanent thing, your thoughts are these permanent things, which they're not. Right. And then, and that's where the not acceptance comes from because people are like, oh no, I'm the identity of some, you know, for instance, maybe it's like some tough guy. Like I can't feel vulnerable, you know? So I'm, I, I can't, I can't let these thoughts manifest because that's not me. I created this image of me. Other people need to constantly believe to be me. And it's just, it's all made up. It's a problem you created. and. But those, those thoughts, those feelings, they are you. And again, like you said, it all boils down to trying. By trying to conform to this person that you're not, you're actually not being your authentic self. It's, you're doing precisely the opposite. You're pushing your authentic self down in order to try to maintain this conception of yourself that you've constructed. And ultimately, you can't hide yourself. And people will see that that, that that person you're trying to portray is just a construction. That's, it's like a house that's just standing on very weak silt. No silt, really. Yeah. 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 Exactly. And, and the thing is, is people think they're, the, they're like the orchestrator of their thoughts. They think they're the ones doing it. And, right. You know, such an important thing to realize, everything is just happening. And like, once you really realize that there is no difference or gap between an involuntary and a voluntary action, it's all just one happening. Like once right. you see life through that, that's when things really start to get better. And life really becomes a joy. And again, realizing that you're not the creator of your thought, all it takes to realize that is just to realize that you can't think a thought before you think it. It's right. literally impossible. Because once you've thought the thought, you've already had the thought. You're exactly. just a conscious receiver of your thought. You're not the creator of your thought. 
you're receiving these thoughts which are barreling into consciousness. And oftentimes you're becoming hostage to these thoughts. And then you're trapped just within whatever thought happened to arise. That is the opposite of mental stability. Mental stability is born out of non-attachment. Yeah. Again, and it's it's almost again, it's everything is paradoxical, like you're saying. Everything is paradoxical because you would say, wait, hold on. By not attaching something and becoming more stable mentally? Right. Exactly. Yes, exactly. exactly. Because that suffering is born and the mental instability is born out of clinging to something, clinging to something which is then passing away. It's just living in that detached state where you're just letting the sensations arise and pass away and you're not trying to cling on to something. You're actually more whole. You're actually more yourself. You're actually more stable then. And that's precisely the opposite of what it would seem like to the layman. Right. Everything is a paradox. That's right. Like, and the same thing with bad negative thoughts that arise too. Maybe. Your pain, you know, whatever. It's, it's more painful to try to avoid pain than it is to embrace it, than it is to just let it come and go. Because it, it's there either way. Mm-hmm. So you wanting something that's you're presently experiencing not be there, you're making that pain 10 times, like a million times worse. It's mm-hmm. already there. You wanting it there or not doesn't make a difference. It, it's not having any, any, any impact on it being there or not. So it being there and you not wanting it to be there right. doesn't make it go away. It's actually, again, you're showing aversion to it, so it's actually making it stay long and amplify it. It's there. That's reality. It's there. You're adding an extra layer of suffering by resisting. So much. Yeah. It goes back to the tre- it goes back it goes back to the treadmill where I was on the treadmill and I realized I've, you've already borne the pain, right? You've already borne the pain. So that thought that you need to get off the treadmill, that's just you thinking how much longer is this going to last? Because yeah. in this moment, you're able to endure it. You're enduring it right now as you're thinking about it. So just drop the thought and go back into that blank canvas of consciousness mode. That's it. It's just you wanting to be somewhere else in this moment. But all you are is this moment. So (laughs) you're not doing yourself any good. And all you ever are is this moment because it's always now. In case anyone didn't tell you, it's always now. Please. The future never arrives. It's always spontaneous. That's the beauty of it. Like, People want control so bad. Like, they feel like, if you really think about it, it's really not what you want. I mean, think about it. You Think about having all the power in the world, being omnipotent, having all the control in the world, right? That's what so many people think they want, right? But if yeah. you go down that thought really deeply and try to see yourself really attaining that way in the... So what are you? So how is life enjoyable? That means you know everything that's going to happen. You're aware of everything, control of everything. Like the spontaneity, the surprise, which really what gives life essence is gone. So once you realize that, you realize, oh, wait, power and control really isn't what I want. That's actually not what I want to be happy. And once you realize that, there's only one way to go. And to me, that, that seems to be compassion. That's, right. really, that's really the alternative. And that's really what's going to make your life happy. 
You know, it's, you know, if you're distinguishing, you know, happy, unhappy, heaven, hell, good, bad, it's, it's power, the, the pursuit of power and desire and control or the pursuit of compassion and love for yourself and others. Like, yeah, that's the difference between how you want to live this life. Those are the two paths you could choose. So many people think that their happiness is through the power and control path, but it's not. And that's really the problem. That's well, it's on. like, it's like you said, when someone makes fun of you or says something mean to you, that's just completely out of nowhere. If you're in the power control mental mode that you're talking about, the natural response is to get angry at that person because they're a threat to you. They've come at you, but your natural response is sympathy. You say, Oh, this person must be suffering because I don't even know them. And they're just completely coming at me in an unjustified way. I feel sorry for them. Completely diametrically opposed responses, depending upon what your mental mode is. One anger, the other sympathy. And also another thought that I had when you were talking was if you get too drawn into that allure of control, you can act and, and you succeed. So you actually end up living the life that you wanted to live. You can actually end up living a pretty humdrum, boring life because then life isn't spontaneous. Life isn't mysterious anymore. And you have everything unlocked. Everything's there. You have your work and very stable, very stable. And yeah. you and you and you think that's good. I've reached stability. And maybe it is good. I'm not saying stability isn't isn't good, but but if you just then operate in that mental mode and you keep going, life doesn't change up because in order spontaneity and instability are two are two sides of this of the same coin in some degree in some degrees, I feel like. Yeah. And again, it goes back to that paradox example. If you're trying to be stable, the less stable you are. If you, just, yeah, exactly. you know, you just embrace the spontaneity. You can't try. You can't try to, if you try to be your true self, you're not going to be your true self. If you try to be cool, you're not going to be cool. It is the trying. Again, because people trying, have. Insane. Insane. Because, because for trying. Um, implies controlling. You're trying to do something, that means you're trying to control something. You give up that control, you give up trying, you let things blossom on their own, they're going to blossom in a positive way. That's the default set of nature. Like Things are going to work out. You just stop interfering. Just give up, surrender. It's really that easy. Surrender. Again, you have all of these, you have all of these problems where you're lost in thought and you think the answer is to think more you think the answer is to do more mental gymnastics the answer is that you wouldn't even have the problem to begin with if you just thought less again there's so much recently i keep confronting these arenas of mental gymnastics they'll have a problem that's just born of thought and then i see it's insane dude i can see because i've gone through the mental gymnastics so many times i can see the whole course in such a fine-grained way Right. I say, okay, yeah, you do two flips over there, and then you do like a little hula hoop, then you go there, and then I see the finish line, and the (laughs) and I'm like, oh yeah, no, I'm I'm really good at that part of the course. I remember that part of the course. (laughs) Then you see the finish line, and you're like, whoa, the finish line is right where I started. So then, so lately, I'm just like, fuck these mental gymnastics. I've already done. I've already gone through this course so many times. There's no point. There's no point in wasting time anymore. There's no point in wasting time. I choose to walk away. And you know, another thing with that, because you're spending the time and you're reacting with this thought and you're indulging in it, 
you're actually strengthening its reoccurring and you're making it come again and again, multiplying. But if you just don't react with it again, just like the water, it's going to clear on its own and it's not going to recur anymore. By you reacting with it, you're strengthening its reoccurring. That's that's another important point. I really, I firmly believe in the concept of mental momentum. Firmly. Mm. Oh, absolutely. And it's, it's habit energy. Like, yeah, like they say, ask, if you want something done, ask a busy person, right? Once you start a particular, there's, there's physical momentum and there's mental momentum, right? Once you get the wheel rolling and you're tending to think more positive thoughts, that begets more positive thinking. And the same thing with more negative thinking. And then you get the positive and negative cognitive feedback loop, right? So just because, and it's, again, it's identifying yourself with not just temporary thoughts, but with temporary patterns of behavior. You say, oh, I'm this lazy person. No, you've been a lazy person, but you're going to have to get the wheel rolling in the other direction. Yeah, it's going to be hard to get that wheel rolling in the other direction, but once it's rolling in the other direction, it's just the getting it rolling. I know it's all cliche and all that, but it's just true. Yeah, and it's really not that hard. It's just, it's just, it's just a change in attitude. Yeah. Because, because again, it's not about trying, just about changing your outlook and perspective, and then things will work out for you. That's really all the work that needs to be done, you know, is okay, I'm going to decide to eat healthier. Like, once you just change that internal attitude that you're going to do that, it's not that hard to do it then. Because you just, you change your attitude. It's again, it's all the internal intent. Everything in this world is intent and all starts internally. You know, it's well, yeah, the, the problem is people don't change their attitude and they have their old attitude and then they try to change their behavior with the old attitude. They try to implement new behavior with the old attitude, whereas the new what you're saying is the new behavior will come once you train the attitude. It's like that Steph Curry commercial. Train the mind. The body will follow. Yeah, that's it, dude. Effort, effortless. The question is, how do you want to live? How do you want to live your life? How do you, how do you want to how do you want your life to be in the world? You know, all that is really just your attitude towards yourself and to to the things that you want to focus on. You know, like you don't want to do something that's difficult or or something you don't like. You don't like this need that you have to do it to be good or to be complete. It's, it's silly, man. And again, so much of what people do is born out of caring what, about what other people think, whether it's your dad, your parents, your friends, or society at large, right? Your, your, your symbol of what you are. Yeah, exactly. But again, that societal perspective doesn't exist. It's just individuals like you and me. And two, because I want it on the record. No one cares about you. No one cares. Egotistical to think otherwise. Even your best friends, they all care about themselves. So the illusion, the idea that you have anxiety because you care about what people think is fundamentally irrational because no one actually cares. And there is no societal perspective, just individuals living their lives. Stop, just drop all the fucks. They're hanging around in the air, just drop them. It is really funny how everyone has this me and the world attitude 
when that's what I'm saying. Yeah, the world is composed of so many different perspectives of life. Right, there is no monolith. The like world or society, society will frown down upon me. Oh, you mean just distinct individuals, each of which harbors his or her own psychological universe and is in some way fundamentally disconnected from everyone else? Right. You mean that? You mean like the billions of subjective universes that are all entangling on this weird earth? Well, oh yeah, I guess that, but that's far from a monolith. <laughs> like that's not one unified perspective, far from it. <laughs> Anxiety collapses under reason. Right. Again, it's just it's just transforming ignorance to wisdom. That's really the ultimate quality of your life is is that is, is that switch, you know? People and again, everyone wants to be happy. Like that's our nature. Like you know, you look at people who are in prison, right? Who have done bad things. We think they're bad people. Like, yeah, they've done bad things, but again, they just did what others wouldn't in an ignorant pursuit of happiness, just like anyone else would. Anyone else would do stuff to be happy. They yeah. they just decided not to wait, wait in line, you know. Yeah, that, that's really the only difference. I totally agree with you. I think the amount of human evil, pure human evil in the world is grossly overestimated. I think I think you have otherwise normal people under the sway of bad ideologies or under the sway of desires and their idea of happiness, like what you're talking about. Right. And that's all it is. It, it's just, again, it's just a misunderstanding of themselves, of nature. And just a desperation to try to get out of suffering. Yeah, yeah. That's all it is. That's all, you know? So it's, and then some people, you know, they think, oh, they're just horrible people. They're just horrible, you know. They're just, some people are so caught up in that thinking that, you know, that's really all you see, just that, right? But it's just like, again, you're just getting a snippet. Like, they're the first victim of all that. Like, if someone's angry, like, that person is the first victim of their anger. You're the right. second. You're the second. <laughs> that, that's how. That's how you become compassionate towards towards someone like that. <laughs> you know they're not happy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Another thing I wanted to bring up that relates to this. Yeah. Where you see the the unenlightened way of thinking having real bad consequences in the social sphere is on Twitter, bro. Twitter was originally designed to be a place where you can just express your thoughts, right? But what do we know people do? People identify themselves with their thoughts. So you have someone who might just be like drunk or something, and they're just like, yeah, I'm going to send off this tweet. That's funny, right? And then boom, just like some thought that they had, right? I, first of all, I can't tell you the amount of thoughts that run through my head on a daily basis. I have thoughts. I have the uplifting thoughts. I have self-crippling thoughts. I have thoughts that contradict each other. So <laughs> obviously not every thought is something that represents deep more something more deeply about who I am. But again, we're constantly lost in thought. We're constantly identifying ourselves with our thinking. So when someone on Twitter comes out with a stupid thought, everyone's just like, I can't believe this person said this. The Twitter mob comes, descends upon him or her, and just rips 
their life apart. <laughs> just rips them apart because because yeah. this person has exposed their true being, their true essence now, and it's there naked for the world to see. They just get whipped in the street, the digital street, you know. But it's like maybe they're just drunk and they just had some thought that they just like tweeted, <laughs> you know. Again, it's, it's like fundamental identifying thoughts with people that's leading. And I think there are other reasons why Twitter's bad too. I'm not saying this is the whole story, um, but it's part of the story. That's it. You know, it's like no every every thought that someone has doesn't say like it's not who they are. Right. Come on, man. I want to shake people. <gasps> and again, it's kind of like it's kind of a system developed that goes against the universal truth of nature. Like again, it's a form of permeating impermanence. It's a form of, you know, like you with the podcast, like you're in a way immortalizing yourself and in the process of creating a god. Right. But it's like, again, like you said, think about how many messed up thoughts one has each day Mm. that you don't act on. But, you know, again, yeah, maybe you're in a weird mindset and you decided to post something and then, you know, Five minutes later, you have a thought that maybe you shouldn't have done. But mm-hmm. oh, it's too late. The world's seen it, and yeah, that's that's a big reason why social media and technology has really, really uh, caused a lot of distress within this world, and it has separated people, and has, uh, you know, given other people, um, very. A very bad look of who they are, you know. Yeah, and also, you don't. You're not forced to engage with the other person's humanity because they're not right in front of you. So there's a kind of road rage phenomenon going on. Right. We're trapped in echo chambers and informational bubbles where we're viewing different news story and we're literally seeing the world in a different way. We're we we're, we've we're separated off into our own little digital tribe without even realize that, realizing that we're separated a lot of the times. And it actually builds up because it's not just like someone passes a comment you don't like and then it's over and they move on. It's just right in front of their face mm-hmm. every, day, every day and then blasted on the news. And it's just, it never disappears, does it? And it's constantly invigorating that anger response because it just, it's there. There, they keep seeing it. They keep seeing it. And it really... It's never there's never been a time in history where it's something's been like and we're we're seeing the effect not not good is it right and it's a weirdly addicting in a completely self-destructive way yeah it almost hypnotizes people again it separates them not just from other people but from themselves because they're so absorbed in that world that they're kind of like detached from their own being and because of that, mindfulness is really at an all-time low because oh, <laughs> you're doing the complete opposite of paying attention to what's happening in you. By the time you even recognize it, it's already manifested clear blue. And you're doing stuff you regret. There is no mindfulness in the outrage economy. Yeah. It doesn't exist. It's clickbait, outrage, act immediately on feelings world. That's yep. not a mindful <laughs> It's not a mindful 
And again, I'm not saying that I'm an I'm not sitting here atop of my high horse declaring that I'm an enlightened being. I'm still working at this shit too. Every moment. But again, it's easy to understand this when you're not in the storm. You know, the times when it's important is when you are suffering or struggling or, or in it. Oh, know? I still get captured by thoughts all the time. Trapped in the room. And, but then somehow I find a way to escape those sneaky thoughts. Lessen the duration. Lessen the duration. So you get to that point beyond concept. Which, you know, you usually, you know, that's very rare to get to. So so when you do obliterate the conceptual schema that our perception is tiled over with on a daily basis, does that lead you to realize that the world, I feel like that, that, that breaking through the conceptual floor, you might call it or whatever it is. Yeah. That's connected with realizing that everything is fundamentally one and that ultimately there is no real individuation between objects. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because that individuation between objects, I guess it was what I'm saying. That individuation is often is is often motivated by the fact that we have different concepts for different things. Exactly. And you know, our our normal state of our mind is like space, right? The space in and of itself is is nothing, right? But it contains everything. <laughs> so in the same way, don't fuck with me, man. Same way, that's what our our default state of consciousness in our minds are is by conceptualizing, by putting concepts on it, kind of putting concepts. You're limiting what space is, you know. So if you get to that place of full enlightenment, pure consciousness, satori, you know, nirvana, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. um, it, it, you know, people people get scared of that. They think, oh, if you don't have concepts, you're nothing. You're not nothing. You're you actually you contain everything, right? Like right. All, all the wisdom of the universe is there, right? You know and that's why, and that's why going back to language, that's language is inherently conceptual, right? So that's why language, because it's conceptual, it generalizes. So the moment you apply a concept or apply a word to something, you are doing a fundamental injustice to its irreducible complexity and particularity. Yeah. And, and uniqueness, because you're putting it in a conceptual box with other things, putting it on the shelf with other things. And you're saying, see, look, these are the same. No, they're not. Like, right. you can put them in the same box. That doesn't mean they're the same. They're right. two, like, two completely different things. And they're completely unique and irreducible. And that's, that's everything. Right. Yeah, words. It might words. sound all uh, new agey, but it's true. It is true. And words. It's just a superficial way of looking at the world. It's it's built for convenience, but the problem is now is this is how all of us view the world is through concepts. Like we look at a tree or we look at a squirrel, and we just see a squirrel. Like you've never seen a squirrel again, because mm-hmm. all you see is just the thought and the noise in your head of the saying squirrel. Right. You're not seeing a squirrel. So in the same right. way. This is how we're doing through everything in life. Like you see a tree, you just see a tree. You see the word, the thought tree. That's what you're seeing is the thought tree. You're not actually seeing the tree. You know, we're, we're, again, I like the analogy. 
we're eating a menu instead of eating dinner. That's why we're <laughs> And see, putting it in philosophical terms, this is why I like phenomenology and continental philosophy more broadly. I, I certainly like analytic philosophy. Let me just say, I love analytic philosophy. But this is why I'm drawn to, don't get the wrong idea, philosophers who might be listening. But this is why I'm drawn to content, uh, phenomenology because the idea is that the starting point of philosophy is with consciousness, right? You're, you're Edmund Herschel, he said, you're going to bracket all other assumptions about the world, all other metaphysical assumptions, everything that you think about the world. You're putting that aside and you're just starting at consciousness and describing the structure of consciousness, right? Because ultimately that's all we have. So the idea is you're getting beneath concept, that yeah. fundamental starting point. Whereas analytic philosophy, at least in the first incarnation of it, was fundamentally concerned with conceptual analysis. So you're starting at concept and you're breaking those concepts down into their more fundamental concepts. So it's kind of a top-down conceptual analysis of concept as opposed to flipping beneath the surface of the conceptual landscape. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, it sounds like you're just continuously muddying the water <laughs> and, and, and never Constant getting to that. Phenomenology. And, uh, yeah, and then, you know, that's, you know, things like Buddhism, you know, that's what it's all about. It's not about gaining anything. It's about, about shedding layers. You know, it, it's about dropping things. It's about dropping aspects of yourself. You know, it's not about going forward. It's about falling back. You know, you know, you know, uh, you know what are you leaving out? What limits are you putting on yourself? It's dropping limits that you put on yourself over time. That's what right. it's about. You know, because those limits are what's limiting you. Again, everything, all the wisdom of the universe, everything is contained in you. You know, you living life through concepts is what is uh, um, hiding, hiding all, all this truth and knowledge that you, that you already contain. And again, this is why I like existentialism so much. This is why I constantly tell you Buddhism and existentialism are the two psychological pillars on which my mental stability rests. Because that's exactly what Sartre said. What you just said is what Sartre said. Um, that, that, that he thinks we're radically free and that radical freedom induces existential angst. And in response, what we do is we want to limit that freedom. So we limit that freedom by conceptualizing ourselves and putting ourselves into conceptual boxes and living in accordance with this concept of ourselves that we've constructed, maybe yeah. partly based on what we think others think about us or just partly. At, based on sheer insecurity, right? we, we build this concept of ourselves and we live in accordance with that. So now I'm doing, if I'm the philosopher and that's how I'm defining myself, or if I'm the basketball player, I'm doing what a basketball player would do. I'm not just doing what Cody would do. So yeah. you're, you're again, you're trapped in a conceptual room. Even your name is- Break the, out, get some fresh, yeah. go for a walk. Go right. for a walk on the road of pure consciousness for a second. For Christ's sake. Right. 